stay with the coach. Day twenty radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. From Sunny Shore City, you're listening to The Underground Radio, bringing you all of the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. I'm Natil. And I'm Sam. For today's broadcast, we'll be covering the latest Pokemon news, discussing the two types from Johto that changed Pokemon as we knew it, honoring a truly tenacious trainer, and turning the spotlight on one of the best voices from the Hoenn region. So sit back, relax, and give your Radio Rotom what it wants. So, Natil. Yeah? I heard that you're going to be breeding one of your favorite Pokemon. I am. I've talked about my favorite Pokemon in the past, and for those of you who don't remember, that Pokemon is Raichu. And for a long time, a really, really long time, I've been trying to figure out how to make Raichu work on a Pokemon team, because to be honest... Its stats are really mediocre, its move pool is pretty much non-existent, and I just, I didn't know what to do with it. It's a really tough Pokemon. I've taken a look at it before, too, and it just, I don't know, it it's like you said, it, it doesn't particularly pop out at you when you're looking at it. It doesn't, and there's there's real no good way to to use Raichu. And, you know, I, I'd done my research on Smogon and stuff like that, and Smogon always wants you to run Nasty Plot on it, which to me doesn't make any sense because Raichu's base speed is only 100. I don't know. Maybe what they were trying to get from that was that you were going to be bringing him in and your opponent would switch out and then you could use a Nasty Plot in there and maybe focus on Thunder or Thunderbolt. But even then, that's still kind of a... that's. That's kind of a tough sell for a Raichu, because is, aren't his base defenses super, super low? Yeah, his, his base special defense is pretty okay, but his base defense is like 35 or something. Ah, uh, that hurts. It's really, really low. So the thing about Raichu is that he's got to be able to outspeed his opponents, or he's just not going to make it. And, you know, with Nasty Plot, sure, you're getting the boost to your special attack, and you're probably going to be able to take out a few more opponents. But if you come across a Pokemon that's going to outspeed you, Raichu's going to go down like a ton of bricks. Well, this is the NU tier that you're planning on making this for, right? Yeah, or but you... I mean, there's even there's Pokemon in the NU tier with base speeds higher than 100. Oh yeah, I suppose that would be the case. I mean, 100's not not great. I mean, even... Well, uh, 100 is pretty good. I well, mean, it's, considering it's okay. all the other... Considering all the other Pokemon that are out there, it's still, you know, it's not fantastic, but it's still pretty good all all around. Even, so. But, you know, even Manectric outspeeds Raichu. Well, I would expect Manectric to be to outspeed Raichu, because Manectric is, is he UU now? No, he's still NU. 
He's still NU? He was up at UU for a while and then went back down on Pokemon Online. He's been NU on Smogon for forever. Well, that's uh, surprising. Yeah. Considering how well it has worked for you in the past. but <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, you've got NU Pokemon that work amazingly for you, too, that nobody else seems <laughs> to, to care about. Yeah, that's true. So the Raichu, you're planning on making it for NU, and you've had the problem of trying to figure out how to get it around its defenses. So what have I'm, you done? Yeah, I'm actually not getting around its defenses at all. Instead of going Nasty Plot, I'm going Agility. And oh. I'm going to make him a mixed attacker. Because the the general idea here is that if I give him a speed positive nature and agility, agility is going to jack his speed up by two stages. So he'll outspeed pretty much everything there is in the NUT, unless, you know, he comes across something scarfed. And at that point, well... <laughs> well, it's, it's really tough to out, to beat anything that's scarfed without a priority attacker anyway. So. It's, it's very true. So... I think I think that's how I'm gonna do it. I'll give him. I'll probably end up giving him the focus sash just to make sure that I can get the one agility off. But other than that, I mean, if I go mixed attack on him, I'll be able to help bust down both special and uh, physical walls in the NU tier. And there's plenty of both of them in that tier. Sure. So we're gonna we're gonna try that. Okay. And with all these Pokemon you've been breeding, I think we talked about this earlier at League. How has the uh, training process been going for all of these Pokemon you've been breeding? See, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the training process. I've been breeding tons of Pokemon, and the, the idea was that I was going to breed all these Pokemon at once and then just do like a mass EV training run, and I haven't started that yet. I know Josh was disappointed because he didn't get to fight my Swellow last week at League, but I'm working on it. I should have oh, him. you didn't have the Swellow ready? No, that's, I didn't have the Swellow oh, ready. That's kind of surprising. I was like, wow, I hope you're, you know, I, I think I told him that, too. I was like, well, I hope you have fun fighting your Swellow. And <laughs> it's like, oh, wait a second, there is no Swellow. Not but yeah, yet. you're going to have to train that up so that I can fight it sometime. I know, I gotta got to finish it. Once it's done, though, it's going to be pretty sweet. Oh, I'm sure it will. But that's pretty much what I've been up to this week. It's been kind of a slow week for me. What have you been up to? Well, I've started breeding some new Pokemon. It's the first time in probably three weeks that I've actually bred a new Pokemon, so it's kind of a kind of a big deal. I don't know. I've had some that were planned out and some that I got all the uh, material for, but I didn't actually step up and do it yet. And I don't know. I think I'm finally done with my uh, bit of a Pokemon break I had there for a while. So I've started with uh, breeding up some Beldums. Uh, The Beldums, I think, are going to be kind of awesome. I'm not too excited, though, about Metagross in terms of variety, though, because he only does, like, two or three things really well, and that's about it. I mean, is. If, as long as you figure him out, you know how to counter him, and that kind of depresses me a little. But I I don't know, I guess it's the same thing with Jolteon. You know what his trick is, and as long as you know what the trick is, you can get around it. But still, it promises to be kind of a nice, bulky physical attacker, which is something that I don't have a whole lot of. Yeah, the problem with Metagross is that Metagross doesn't have any egg moves, uh, he doesn't have a big variety of damaging moves, really, t- 
to speak of either. I mean, he can get Earthquake, uh, Meteor Mash, Bullet Punch is really nice. The attack, uh, Zen Headbutt can have its uses. I think that would be really cool to put on one. But, I mean, other than throwing down maybe a Choice Band on him, I or maybe Agility, I saw some interesting builds for Agilicross on Cerebi and Smogon. There really isn't a whole lot else that you can do with him. I mean, you can throw a Life Orb on him, and that's about it. You can't get his Dream World ability either, but that's not very good either. It's like light body or light metal or something. Yeah, his Dream World ability is not good, because it's the one that reduces his overall weight, and that's only good if you're coming across tons of Grass Knot Pokemon. And there's hardly anyone in the metagame anymore that uses Grass Knot. Yeah, and who's going to actually use a Grass-type attack against a Steel-type Pokemon <laughs> either? I mean, that's... Well, I don't know, I suppose you might be able to get away with it on, like, a on like a Steelix. I, I suppose a Steelix might get hit a little harder. Oh, wait a second, that low kick. The low kick, that the fighting-type attack that can... Uh, oh, that's right. That take out people that have a heavier weight, but even then, that's a very, very limited selection of you know threats that you'd want to even have that ability for. Yeah, and I don't, I don't come across low kick pretty much at all. I think I come across low kick about as often as I come across grass knot. Yep. So I don't know. It's kind of an unreliable ability overall. So I'm thinking that I just kind of have to pick out one of the metagrosses that I want to make and just kind of run with it and see how well I like it. From what I've seen of other people who have run it, I think it was, I've seen Richard's and I've seen yours, and both of them work out really well, so I might have to just give it a try. Yeah, the one that I have, it's interesting that you mentioned doing um, an Agilicross, like using agility on your metagross, because that's something that I hadn't considered at all when I'm I'm thinking about redoing my Metacross, and when I do mine over, I'm going to completely nerf his speed because I want to do Hammer Arm Gyro Ball. Yeah, I had forgotten about Gyro Ball because, I don't know, Gyro Ball would be really good with Hammer Arm. You're dropping his speed. Uh, having that speed-reducing nature would also make it really good. Yeah, there aren't a whole lot of Pokemon that can get hit super effectively by Steel, but... You know, it would still be a really good attack option for Metagross just to get the stab off and to have that nice, powerful hit, especially considering his base attack is pretty high. I think it's 120, isn't it? Something like that. And his speed is already pretty low. I mean, if you wanted to do, you know, the agility hair or hair cross, if you wanted to do the agility Metagross, that would work really well. Because, you know, the agility is going to boost his speed by two stages, and if you give him a speed-positive nature, if you make him jolly instead of adamant, that would work out super well. I just had never considered it. Yeah, it's not something that's very common. Even, I think it was Smogon said that it was kind of one of the, uh, what did they call it? They called it a high-risk, high-reward set, because there's <laughs> so many things that can go wrong if you're trying to set up agility on it. But if you can get agility up on it, it should work out pretty well. At least they called it high-risk, high-reward instead of novelty, like they call yeah. a lot of movesets. I hate... This is... I, oh, now we're going to get on like a mini Smogon rant. I love Smogon for what it is. I love the tears and how very 
crisp and clean they are and based on stats and things like that. And I love going to Smogon to sort of get an idea for what a Pokemon has the ability to take and has the ability to do. But once in a while, I'll come up with a really great set for a Pokemon and I'll go to Smogon to see what Smogon thinks. And they're like, oh, well, that's a novelty move. No, no, it's not a novelty move. Yeah, I've run into a couple of sets where they've considered it a novelty and I found that it works out really well. It's just that I think they, no offense to any Smogon aficionados, I guess, who would want to listen, who are listening to this, but uh, it seems like it's almost a novelty. They think it's a novelty because it hasn't been fully tested yet and it might be a little difficult to pull off. But even then, you know, there's still positive aspects to any of the builds that these Pokemon might have or any moves they have. I mean, even Bulldoze, which really doesn't have that many uses, could still be really good on one Pokemon if the skill set is solid. True story. My other couple of Pokemon I've been... uh, Well, I guess I haven't been breeding it up yet, but I was also planning on remaking an Altaria. Ooh! Yes, because Altaria is the Dragon-type Pokemon that I have that I have had no end of difficulty making work. It's, yeah, because you've got, you've got every other Dragon-type Pokemon pretty much wrapped around your little finger. <laughs> pretty much, yes. I have caught every single Dragon-type Pokemon in the game, including Legendaries, and each of the ones that can breed, I at least have one of, but it's... I don't know, Altaria is just a really difficult Pokemon to place because it is a total make-love-not-war type of Pokemon. It really is. It's got base attack and special attack of 70 apiece, but its special defense is super high, and it learns no end of support moves like Haze and Roost and Safeguard, Cotton Guard, Feather Dance. I mean, it's... It's got a whole lot of defensive options, and it makes, and you know, despite its dragon flying typing, it still makes for a pretty good special defensive wall. It's just that it's so difficult to stick it out there and make it work because it is, and it is a UU Pokemon, like a solidly UU Pokemon. So you kind of have to find. You have to find the right place on a team, and you have to find the right place in a battle for him to step out and go to work, because he's just in a very awkward place where he doesn't have a whole lot of offensive options, and while his special defense is really good, his I don't he doesn't quite have the typing to sustain a whole lot of damage from types that will... From, pe- from people who will be bringing Ice-type moves out there, and they will be bringing Ice-type moves out against an Altaria. I mean, it's like... Ice-type moves against Dragon-types are like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, you gotta have it there, so... Well, that's pretty awesome. And I guess the, the last thing that you and I have both kind of been doing is making our teams for CoreCon. Yes, uh, the Corcon teams we were going to be making, and they were going to be based around a gym challenge. Almost, it's almost like an LARP. Yeah, it's it's definitely very LARP-like. Yes, and it's one that we decided to set up in the same style and taste as the gyms in all of the Pokemon games, where you have 
three of the regular gym members who usually are stuck in your way, obviously, who will challenge you to battles before you can get to the gym leader. And what we decided to do for this gym battle was to have Natil, myself, and Scott be three of the gym average trainers who we'll would just, we'll just we'll just say it what for what it is we're we're the peons yes we are the peons <laughs> i was trying to avoid that word but you know what you can't help but call a spade a spade it really is <laughs> but uh yeah so we were going to be the peons and Josh was going to be the gym leader, and we were going to be using three Pokemon, whereas I think he was using four. And we decided that we were going to limit the size of our teams and limit ourselves to a single type so that when people challenge us, you know, we'll still only have three Pokemon. And it is theoretically possible to beat us, but we still want to give as much of a challenge as we possibly can, sort of like in the Pokemon games where... When you're running into, for example, the Pewter City Gym, you're, you still have a bit of a challenge against some of the opponents, especially if you pick the Charizard. It should be really interesting. It's going to be happening, what, was it the Friday night? Yep, that's uh, this upcoming week. So, Yes. Hope to see a lot of people who will challenge us there, because we really want to fight people, and Josh really wants to give out that badge to anybody who can defeat him. Yeah, so, we're we're going to have an actual badge for our challengers. Challengers are actually going to be able to walk through the gym, and we're going to pounce out at them, and it's, it's going to be so cool. Yes, it is. It'll be this Friday, May 4th, and we will also have a <laughs> DS set up with a pre-constructed team for anybody who will be wanting to take the gym challenge but doesn't necessarily have any Pokemon that would be ready and capable of taking on three or up to four EV-trained Pokemon, even though they're of the same type. So, yeah, for anybody who wants to take that challenge, uh, good luck. Indeed. And I think with that, we are going to head over to the news desk and talk about all of the news that is well fit to talk about. <laughs> and welcome to the news desk. We've only got two news items on the docket today, and the first one is super exciting to me personally. And to me. Yeah, we've got a Darkrai event coming up. Which is probably the most exciting thing that's gone on in Pokemon in a very long time. <laughs> Starting on May 9th, this Pokemon event distributing the legendary Pokemon Darkrai is getting started. The event is actually a tie-in with the release of the Dark Explorers TCG set, which also happens to release on May 9th. Full details on the Darkrai have not yet been revealed, so we don't know what level it's going to be, what its moveset's going to be like, what item it's going to be holding. None of that's been made clear to us yet, but we do know that it's coming. And it's a Darkrai, and I am totally going to download two of them. I only get one, because Ben's playing his his game now, so I don't get to soft reset on his game. 
But still, it's a Darkrai. I think people have been waiting for Darkrai ever since they lost the chance to get the uh, special item that you needed to go off to the... I can't remember which island it was in Sinnoh, but yeah, for anybody who missed out on that chance, this is the second time you will have to get a legal Darkrai. So I thoroughly suggest picking that up. The, the neat thing is that, you know, you've got plenty of time to do it. It's going to be a Wi-Fi event, so all you have to do is connect to the internet download the thing and it can sit in digital purgatory for ages if you're not ready to soft reset for it or you know if you don't care about soft resetting which you probably should care about soft resetting i know right (laughs) and i am testament to this that you just mentioned they can sit in there forever Uh, not only do the pokemon games black and white have additional uh, wonder card storage whereas in I think in Heart Gold and Soul Silver you only got four of them, but in Black and White you get twelve, so it can sit there for a long time. But not only that, those things sit in there forever. I mean, when I was playing, even when I went back to Heart Gold and Soul Silver a couple months ago, I found event Pokemon like the event Celebi and one of the event uh, one of the event Raikos in there that I had had there and I just forgot about. And it was like, wow, uh, hi guys. I guess I totally forgot about you back here, but <laughs> yeah, they sit in there forever. The spring friendly tournament has also been announced. This new tournament is open to players from all over the world, excluding Japan and Korea. The rules will be the same as they were for the last Wi-Fi tournament and so if you've got a doubles team ready, uh, get yourself registered. The slots open on May 2nd, and the registration will close on May 9th. The tournament actually starts on the 10th, and I think it goes from like the 10th to the 14th or something like that. I was super intrigued that Japan and Korea are being excluded from this tournament until I found out that there's actually a separate tournament going on for Japanese Japan. and Korean players at about the same time. Yeah, it would have seemed really weird if Japan and Korea, the two the two big Pokemon nations on that side of the world, had gotten excluded, but yeah, now it makes perfect sense. Yep. So if you you know, if you've got a team, go Do ahead it. and yeah, seriously, go ahead and enter it. I probably I don't think I'm gonna end up entering the spring friendly this year because I don't have a doubles team yet. But once I do, I'm gonna start doing these Wi Fi tourneys. Natil, why don't we have Devil's Teams built? Because uh, we're terrible, and we've been breeding NU Pokemon. <laughs> I know, right? We should start breeding Devil's Teams. Uh, if only I had an extra, like, three hours in my day. I know, right? <laughs> Back in Gen 1, there were only 15 basic types of Pokemon, and over the past decade, I think a lot of people have forgotten that. It wasn't until the second generation of Pokemon games that the Dark and Steel types were even introduced, and before that, there were a lot of really huge balance issues in the game, and Dark and Steel really changed the whole metagame. So today, Sam and I are going to sort of give a rundown on what these types are like, and how they actually changed the game. Yeah, the 
darkened steel types that were introduced as the 16th and 17th basic Pokemon types in Gen 2 had a fundamental impact on the game as a whole. They changed the makeups of teams considerably. They affected the diversity and special and almost the specialization of movesets, and they rendered several species of Pokemon almost obsolete. I mean, they really hammered home how they imposed the view that certain types of Pokemon just didn't cut it in the game anymore. And the first one we wanted to talk about was the Dark type. Indeed. Dark type Pokemon and attacks super effectively hit Psychic and Ghost type Pokemon and are hit super effectively by Fighting and Bug type attacks. Dark types are immune to Psychic attacks. I can just picture why they were made immune to Psychic attack. I can only think of one Pokemon that would... I I guess there are a couple, but still Mewtwo is the one that... Rings the most powerfully at the front of my mind. Oh, when see, I, I would have, I would have gone with Alakazam. That's because your Alakazam is like super ridiculous <laughs> strong. Natil's Alakazam truly is one of the most powerful Pokemon that I've ever run into. So, yeah, that's I can understand why you'd say Alakazam, but and it's funny that you say that because I say Mewtwo because the first time that I ever ran into a Dark type Pokemon that I knew was a Dark type Pokemon was when I was using my Mewtwo against Blue at the end of Fire Red, and he had the Tyranitar out there. And I could never figure out why Psychic wasn't affecting him. I thought it was some kind of strange, I don't know, maybe a move that he used or something, and it just puzzled me for the longest time until I read up and figured out that Dark types were immune to Psychic attack. Yeah, so the the immunity to Psychic attacks was sort of... Game Freak's way of putting Psychic types back in check. Before Gen 2, the only check that Psychic really had was Bug type, and the only damaging move for Bug types was Pin Missile. So Psychic types pretty much ran the game unchecked until the Dark types hit the scene. Rather than improve upon Bug type Pokemon. I know, right? (laughs) Yes, that is something that we'll talk about a little later. When Dark types were introduced, they had their damage calculated by the special attack stat way back in Gen 2. This was later changed in 4th Gen to divide the new and pre-existing Dark Attacks into both physical and special attacks. Which I'm super grateful for. I'm so glad that that change was made. It's so weird to think about the fact that the game used to be, you know, so broad in the way that damage was calculated. I wonder if that wasn't because of data limitations with the technology. I wonder if they couldn't split physical and special out of different types of attacks. It's true. That's 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 a distinct possibility. I'm super grateful for that, too, because it added a depth to the dark-type moves that allowed you to target both physically defensive and specially defensive psychic-type Pokemon or even ghost-type Pokemon, even though ghost-type Pokemon aren't really known for their physical defensive prowess, except for Cofagrigus, but That's true. We mentioned earlier that Bug-types before were really the only check to psychic-types, and the second generation of games did introduce a whole slew of new Bug-type Pokemon, along with the new attack Megahorn, but Bug-Pokemon and their attacks were still far too easy to counter, and psychic types were essentially unchallenged by their supposed bug-type counters even after these new moves were introduced. 
Oh, totally. The Bug-type Pokemon had very, very low defenses or even special defenses. And given that you had a lot of type... a lot of types that were still calculated by special attack. Any any Pokemon that had a significantly strong special attack could easily at least two-hit KO a lot of those bug-type Pokemon. And Dark filled the void for challenging psychic types in an overwhelming way with straight-up attacks like Crunch and Bite that also had the ability to flinch or lower defenses of these Pokemon but it also threw in some new tricks like Pursuit, which allowed you to do double the damage on Pokemon that were retreating, which was nice for the Pursuit Trapping strategy. And it also introduced the move Beat Up, which allowed you to do damage based on the number of Pokemon that you had on in your party, which was also super effective against, you know, not even Ghost and Psychic, but against Pokemon of any kind. The dark typing gained even more prominence when the shift to third generation came around. They released several new psychic and ghost types in third gen, which only served to give the dark type a stronger foothold in the metagame because the dark types were still the strongest counter to ghost and psychic types. It also unveiled the dark and ghost type Pokemon Sableye, who boasted absolutely no type weakness. Sableye was the first Pokemon to have that, wasn't wasn't he? Yep, he was the first Pokemon, I think he was the first Pokemon, period, to have absolutely no weaknesses against any type. The other one was Spiritomb, and he wasn't released until 4th gen. I mean, Spiritomb is arguably better than Sableye in many ways, but, you know, Sableye was the first, and he... You know, I'm sure when people saw that he had no weaknesses, they were like, wow, this is amazing. It actually made a type combination like that. In third gen, the dark type attacks also gained some new, even more interesting effects than just pursuit and beat up. You had moves like trick, which would let you uh, steal items from your foes and switch your item with theirs. You could also prevent foes from using certain moves with, oh, what is that move? The... It was Taunt. Taunt, there you go. I think they also had the move... I can't remember what it was. It was a move that en- allowed you to enrage your opponent and cause torment. You you could torment your opponent and make it so that they couldn't use the same move twice. So those were, those were some other really interesting ways that Dark-type attacks... Dark-type Pokemon were able to continue to change the metagame. And it was also really nice, too, because a lot of regular Pokemon even started learning these Dark-type attacks. Like, oh yeah, you get tons of Pokemon that could learn Bite in 3rd Gen. Oh yeah, Persian was a really awesome Pokemon for that. I mean, when you had him rolling out there with his incredible speed, he had the nice attack stat going for him, and with that Bite-inflicting flinch with a 30% chance, I mean, that was tough to beat. It still is tough to beat. Very true. Then when we switched over to 4th Gen... The fourth generation of games sort of attempted to rebalance how powerful the dark type had become by releasing a number of fighting type Pokemon along with the new dark types. And actually, fourth gen included the first time that we had seen priority fighting and dark type attacks to give battles a super unpredictable edge. Oh, yeah. And when you had Pokemon like uh, Lucario, who had Vacuum Wave or Mock Punch, 
I it was perfect for trying to take out those dark type Pokemon who would be incredibly, incredibly fast, like Weavile. Weavile is an incredibly difficult Pokemon to try and outspeed or even to take out in a significant way, and if without something to counter that, your ghost or dark, your ghost or psychic type Pokemon were kind of sitting ducks. It's true, and once again, we're 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 talking about dark and steel types, but when we talk about dark, bug is just sort of an essential thing that we have to keep talking about. Even in fourth gen, when new bug attacks came out, things like U-turn and X scissor, bugs were still largely ignored in favor of dark types and dark type attacks for countering ghost and psychic types. And by this point in time, ghost and psychic types had become pretty prevalent in the upper tiers and the UU and OU tiers. And, you know, bug types just still at this point in time hadn't made that shift. There were no bug types that were really well established in the OU tier in fourth gen. And it's interesting to note, too, that it was largely because of the other type that we're going to be discussing here in just a few minutes that bug-type Pokemon met their demise by. Because a lot of bug-type Pokemon are either going to be are either going to have that bug aspect to them or they're going to be bug and flying, and that makes them either double or quadruply weak to rock-type attacks. And with stealth rocks making the jump in fourth gen bug type pokemon just could not switch in they couldn't find the time to switch in there without losing a quarter to or a half of their own hp and that made it really difficult for them to even come out to challenge any psychic pokemon that would be out there that they could super effectively hit and you know fifth gen has sort of attempted to reinvigorate the bug type it's it's given it some more leverage in the upper tiers in the form of Volcarona, who is an awesome bug-type Pokemon. Volcarona is probably top-tier bug-type Pokemon. And uh, Galvantula came out with 5th Gen as well, who is a really interesting bug-type. 5th Gen also gave us the moves like Quiver Dance, which has been met with quite a bit of success and has really started to turn attention back to this super-ignored bug-type but as we said before, too, just as before, dark-type attacks are still pretty much the standard for anti-psychic tactics in the higher tiers, and that's almost due to their arguably stronger power, diversity, and their special effects that they have. And But still, bug-type Pokemon, they're starting to make a comeback. I think we might actually see some competition for the dark-type uh, for the dark type for play in these co- in competition, especially in lower tiers. I mean, it used to be in lower tiers you didn't use bug types ever, if you know, very rarely, if at all. And now in lower tiers, you see a lot more of the bug type Pokemon. There's you know people that'll break out Butterfreeze. There are people that'll break out the Heracross or oh, who are some other bug type? Fortress gets used fairly often in lower tiers now. Yep. And it's nice, too, for some of those Pokemon. One of the ones I'm thinking about, too, is Venomoth. And it's because they also got Quiver Dance. Like, uh, yeah, both Venomoth and Butterfree can learn Quiver Dance now. So it makes them a whole lot tougher, especially on on the special side, anyway. So it allows them to sit out there and 
tank some more hits and boost themselves up to be actual serious competitors. Whereas before, you know, a Butterfree, the best thing that a Butterfree could do was sit out there with compound eyes and be super, well, he can't be super fast, but be as fast as he possibly can to try and, you know, sleep powder or poison powder the opponent. And that was pretty much the only thing it could do. Now, though, it's actually starting to see more use on an in an offensive capacity. So I'm excited about that. But, you know, like we said, the dark types, they're, they're just too good when it comes to countering the Pokemon that they're meant to counter, especially with new Pokemon like Hydreigon. Hydreigon is incredibly lethal when it comes to well, any type of Pokemon, really. It's true. The other type that was introduced back in 2nd Gen was the Steel-type. The Steel-type is most often revered for its defensive prowess. Steel-types resist 11 different types of attack and are completely immune to poison attacks. The Steel-type Pokemon are susceptible to three types, fire, fighting, and ground, and their attacks super effectively hit rock and ice-type Pokemon. So, due to the overwhelming rarity of the types that Steel-type attacks can actually super effectively hit, and to couple that with their insanely numerous resistances, especially to particularly powerful dragon attacks like Draco Meteor and Outrage, Steel is considered to be a very powerful defensive typing, but very weak offensively. From my own experiences... Dragon-type Pokemon have an insanely tough time trying to break Steel-types. When you make a Dragon Pokemon, you almost always have to include Earthquake or Fire Blast to be able to counter those Steel-type Pokemon. But their attacks, in turn, don't necessarily do a lot of damage, even if they're being fired off from a Steel-type Pokemon getting getting the stab bonus. Steel-types and their popularity as being these defensive powerhouses have caused not only dragons to sort of adapt that kind of metagame mantra, but lots of teams have had to adopt at least one or two Pokemon that could learn a fire, fighting, or ground attack. Fire Blast and Earthquake are super popular choices, especially now that Earthquake isn't a one-time-use TM that you would have to go back and get uh, battle points for. Earthquake is probably the most commonly used steel counter in the metagame today. Oh yeah, and Fire Blast is really good, but for those who don't like its accuracy, Flamethrower or even Fiery Dance off of a Volcarona are also really good counters. There were some Pokemon that were introduced in Gen 4 that were kind of immune to these very natural and very prevalent counters to the steel type, though. Like Heatron, for instance, absorbs fire damage because he's a fire steel Pokemon. And then you've got Bronzong, who has a natural immunity to ground type attacks because he has the levitate ability. Also really the metagame answer to the incredibly popular toxic stall teams. Oh, toxic stalls. Well, simply adding one steel type Pokemon to your team can completely shut down a team meant to toxic stall because you are suddenly completely immune to their toxic. Some of those Pokemon that work for negating toxic stalling tactics that are really good are, one off the top of my head is the Empoleon, 
because a lot of the toxic stallers are also happen to be bulky water types, and then it can resist even the scalds or hydro pumps that you're going to probably see come at you afterwards. The steel type has also become very well known as being effective uh, setup hazard Pokemon. I think Foratress is probably the best known, uh, but in 5th gen, Ferrothorn has kind of come out and taken a little bit of that role as well. Ferrothorn and Fortress. Both of those are two are really, really good ones. The main advantage Fortress has over Ferrothorn is that it can learn rapid spin. Yeah. But still, both of them, both of them are really good for setting up effective entry hazards. And that's kind of been the downfall for bug type Pokemon too, because they can both spin out Stealth Rocks, even in this gen where a lot of the Pokemon that could learn Stealth Rock got it taken away from them. The Steel types also gained greater standing in 3rd gen with the introduction of quite possibly one of my most favorite things to do with a Steel type Pokemon, and that is the Sandstorm Field Effect, which gives bulkier Steel types the advantage of being of being able to outlast a whole lot of opponents. Sandstorm is great for Steel type Pokemon. I know, right? I've, one of our league members actually developed a steel team because he was worried about sandstorms that were coming up in third and fourth gen so but yeah he developed that team and it was surprisingly effective i mean if he could get his own sandstorm up then it was incredibly difficult to break his team unless you had dedicated fire and fighting types to try and wear it down over time because some of those steel type pokemon can learn HP restoring abilities that make them incredibly difficult to break in sand. Now let's jump back into our Wayback Machine. Back in 2nd and 3rd gen, the Steel type attack damage, which was calculated exclusively by the attack stat. And that didn't change until 4th gen, when the Steel type got some special attacks like Flash Cannon. And even in 5th gen today, they're le- still learning new types of steel type a- of steel attacks that have those special hidden effects to them. I know Gyro Ball is a little older than 5th gen, but it still has the nice effect of being able to hit Pokemon who are faster than you with stronger damage. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the, the attack Atomize, which is one of my favorite discoveries I've made of 4th gen because it allows a Pokemon to increase its speed by dropping pieces of itself off. That's the coolest thing ever. (laughs) I know, right? It was quite possibly the most brilliant thing that I've ever heard of when it comes to, I think it was the Steelix. Yeah, it was the Steelix that learned it. And I thought, yes, this is brilliant. Why didn't they put this on him before? Along with the new moves that they've been learning, 5th Gen also released a whole new host of Steel-type Pokemon. Yeah, and these new Steel-type Pokemon are super interesting because they've got brand new type combinations. Steel-types are kind of still one of the rarest typings, I would think. There aren't a whole lot of Steel-type Pokemon out there. No, they're not. Uh, But 5th Gen gave us the Grass-Steel Ferrothorn and the Dark-Steel Bisharp. Both of them are really cool because... While Bisharp does have that quadruple weakness to fighting, 
it's still got the ability to Swords Dance and Sucker Punch, which makes it an incredibly difficult Pokemon to try and counter if you're going at it offensively. And the Grass and Steel-type Ferrothorn is just brutal to try and break in rain, because even though it's got the quadruple weakness to fire, that thing won't take a whole lot of damage, even from super effective fire attacks in the rain. So both of those are really cool. And another one that I thought we've we should probably mention is Excadrill. Oh, the steel ground type. Yes. We kind of we kind of forget about Excadrill a lot because Excadrill was pretty quickly relegated to the Uber tier in uh once 5th gen came out. Well, for obvious reasons too. I, I mean, know. that's that sand rush ability is broken. I mean, Excadrill is supremely powerful. That's that's probably why we didn't think of him initially, but that that's another very unique typing that 5th gen has put out to combine with the steel type. Yes, and there were also two cool little steel type Pokémon that were brought out in the form of Clinklang and Durant. And you know, Clinklang and Durant, both of them, I think they're both NU and they're really hard to remember because they you don't see them very often but Clinklang, he's the gear pokemon who has a couple of unique attacks that allow it to raise its speed and do damage based on how i think it was based on how fast it was and Dur- and durant is just an incredibly incredibly fast steel type pokemon which is super rare in the metagame because so many steel type pokemon are achingly slow Durant is a dual type Pokemon, right? Is it? Is it? It's Bug Steel, right? I, th- I think it is. Yes. And Clinklang is Monotype Steel, isn't it? Monotype Steel. And that's unusual in and of itself. Yes, there aren't too many. There aren't too many Monotype Pokemon really out there. Once you get to the final evolution, a lot of them split into two types to try and give them a little more a little more option to attack from, but Clinklang, he is straight steel. I mean, he won't take quadruple damage from either ground, like Magnazone will, or Fire, which Fer- which uh, Ferrothorn will. So he's a really interesting Pokemon. And I don't know, I, th- I would like to see him a whole lot more. Yeah, he's one that we're, we're probably going to have to work with a little bit, you and I. <laughs> I know, right? Now we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and sort of really focus in on the way that these two types change the game. We've kind of brushed on it a little bit as we've talked about how the types themselves have changed over the last four generations or so, starting off with steel types like Skarmory and Bronzon. Skarmory is a really nice tool for a lot of defensive teams because he's got that flying type to him too, which gives him that immunity to earthquake which a whole lot of steel type pokemon fear and with his natural bulk and the ability to roost he's a really tough pokemon to break especially in sandstorm teams where you can stall people out and really wear people down in battles of attrition exactly and even in you know this new advent of stalling out with sandstorm and steel type teams the other type of stalling teams that were really common before that, the Toxic Stallers, are pretty much a non-issue for most team lineups now. Yeah, I know, right? If you've got a Ferrothorn out there, he can just sit out there and laugh at any type of Pokemon that tries to Toxic it. And it can respond back with either a Stab Gyro Ball or Power Whip. 
and it makes it really difficult for you. I don't know. You almost, if you're going to run a toxic stall team, you almost have to have a way to get a, well, you have to have a way to get around steel types because they're, if you've run into, if you run into a steel type team, it's really difficult to try and pull off any sort of a strategy with toxic. The other thing that ended up happening in the metagame is that fighting types had to get a boost in order to help continue to counter these Steel-type Pokemon. The Steel-type is so defensively powerful that the only real way to keep it in check was to boost up these fighting types in the form of tons of new moves. You've got High Jump Kick now, you've got Mock Punch and Aura Sphere and Vacuum Wave, and moves like these are really the only way to truly compete compete against the type, considering the stat pool of most fighting type Pokemon is fairly limited. I know. It's a lot of the Pokemon, even Pokemon like Machamp and Hitmonlee, they're both, they both almost, they can't really cut it in the OU or even the UU tiers. So you have to either give them a boost that way, or you almost have to have those moves on other types of Pokemon for... It makes it really difficult for fighting types to compete now, but with the new advents of Pokemon like Conkeldur and Mianchao that we got in fifth gen, it makes it a little it makes it a little easier for you to counter steel type Pokemon with fighting type attacks, but still fighting types in and of themselves are still left behind in the dust a little when it comes to forming a team. Fire and ground attacks have become pretty much mandatory on almost every team out there. Oh yeah. I know a lot of my Pokemon teams, they each have at least one Earthquake and at least one Flamethrower or Fire Blast. It's really, really rare to find a team that doesn't carry at least one of those kinds of attacks. Switching gears to the Dark type and how it has sort of evolved the metagame. As we've sort of well, we've, we've pretty much hashed that one out. Dark types are now the choice for anti-psychic warfare. Yes. For two generations, Pokemon like Alakazam and Hypno were left in terror of being countered by speedier dark types like Sneasel and Weavile, and even bulkier threats like Tyranitar, who could pursuit trap both ghost and psychic types. Dark types are weak to fighting attacks. The Like we just sort of talked about, the general talent pool of fighting type Pokemon really had made them unattractive to fight in the same tier as the pseudo-legendary Tyranitar. Other Pokemon with fighting type moves were often better choices, and bug types were almost completely left by the wayside, with the notable exception of Heracross. Heracross managed to stick in there for a very long time as the big answer to using a bug-type stab attack in the metagame. Heracross was really the only one that could that could pull that off for a long time. Now in 5th gen, we've got Volcarona, who does, who does very good things with stab bug-types on the opposite side of Heracross. Heracross is our physical bug, whereas Volcarona is our special bug. Yes. 5th uh, gen also provided some decent responses to Dark-type Pokemon in the form of Mianxiao and Conkeldur, just like with our Steel-types, the former being a nice all-around attacker. I love my Mianxiao with his high jump kick, and the latter being bulky enough to take a hit from a faster opponent. 
Many trainers are still opting to use fighting a fighting type attacks over actual fighting type Pokemon, though. There's a lot of non-fighting Pokemon that can learn fighting type attacks. My favorite of that particular genre of Pokemon is Electivire. My Electivire has Cross Chop, and he makes incredible use out of that. Your Cross Chop Electivire is, without a doubt, probably one of the better Pokemon with a fighting type attack that I've fought. I mean, it's really difficult. It's difficult to get Cross Chop into an Electivire, but once you get it with that base attack stat he has rolling out there, it's going. It's just brutal when he unleashes that. One of my favorite answers for Dark-type and Steel-type Pokemon in 5th Gen is Focus Blast. And it's so good when you can put it on Pokemon of many different types. I think Rayuniclus can learn it. Alakazam uh, can learn it. Polytoad can, can learn it. Hydreigon can learn it. I mean, so many Pokemon can learn Focus Blast. And it's such a nice... Uh, and it's such a nice attack to use against people despite its accuracy. And it makes it makes for a nice change when you've really only got Conkeldur, Mianshao, and maybe Lucario for reliable OU level uh, fighting against these dark and steel types that would be able to pretty much mess up your day if you don't have them there. It's it's super interesting because we've kind of talked about how, you know, Dark and Steel were introduced to help balance out the first gen metagame where we had, you know, those psychic types, especially running rampant. And over the subsequent generations, other types have had to be boosted to sort of calm down the knee-jerk reaction to the psychic type. I know. And it was like with our bug types. They got upgraded with Volcarona and Galvantula. Our bug types got upgraded with Quiverdance. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it almost felt like the if, if Pokemon had upgraded the bug type Pokemon in second gen, maybe we wouldn't have this, like you said, this knee-jerk reaction to the to the dark type and the steel type that we have today i mean it was even way back in even way back in second gen you could just feel that it was such a quick reaction to try and nerf out those psychic type pokemon and we're still feeling the effects of that today it's really interesting that we're you know we're still feeling this knee-jerk reaction to it when we've got these new type immunities and i don't know it's going to be really interesting when Pokemon comes out in the theoretical Gen 6 as to how the metagame will try and rebalance itself this time to try and maybe, well, they fixed a lot of the problems with the type imbalances in, and inequalities from 4th Gen and 3rd Gen, but we're, there's still a little bit of a alteration that they probably could do. Yeah, um... I, for one, am super grateful for the rebalancing that was done. I mean, introducing these two new types was probably, you know, the the ultimate knee-jerk reaction to how overly powerful the psychic type was in first gen. But over the, you know, subsequent gens, as we went from second to third and third to fourth and finally fourth to fifth, I think that the game has really sort of achieved a very nice balance. At this point in time, there aren't really any types that are way more powerful than every other type, except for 
Dragon, but Dragon, I will say, was Dragon was almost a knee jerk reaction to the knee jerk reaction. <laughs> I mean, back in second gen, you didn't have too many powerful dragon type attacks because the first generation only had Dragon Rage for a dragon type attack, and it was only and it only did forty damage. So it was almost like because they had steel there, they could develop attacks like Outrage and Draco Meteor, which would do insane amount of, amounts of damage to Pokemon that wouldn't resist them, and steel would be the only type that resists it. So it's almost like the dragon type got more powerful because the steel type was there. I had never thought of it that way before. I know, right? It's one of those things that you you I didn't really think about it until it was like, wait a second. I'm researching how many moves these Pokemon had and what kinds of moves were there in second gen, and it was like, wow, there really still aren't these Outrage and Draco Meteor power attacks on the Dragon side yet. So, yeah, it was it was really interesting to research these things and sort of look at this this reactionary thing that happened from the sudden introduction of two new types to the Pokemon universe. And I think with that, we're going to kind of wrap up our discussion here on the dark and steel types. And we are going to head to the hall of fame once again. Once again, Sam and I will be inducting an oft-forgotten character into the Underground Hall of Fame. Tonight's inductee is not as strong or talented as our first Hall of Famer, Lance, but he is no doubt as infamous. Tonight, we welcome Samurai Bug Trainer into the Underground Hall of Fame. Samurai is a young boy who lives in Viridian Forest and dresses up in samurai armor. He carries a sword and a butterfly net. He is unique to the anime series, and he was the first trainer that Ash had a fair battle with in the anime. He appeared only in a single episode of the anime, which was titled Challenge of the Samurai. The plot of this particular episode was basically Ash and Misty were traveling through Viridian Forest, and Samurai ambushed the pair of them and demanded to battle Ash after revealing that he had already lost to Gary and the other two nameless trainers from Pallet Town. Their battle is perhaps one of the most infamous and hilarious of the anime world. Samurai led with his pincer, who handily dispatched Ash's Pidgeotto, no small feat for a bug-type Pokemon. But then Ash brought out his Metapod, who is so hard-skinned that it damaged pincers, well, pinchers. (laughs) Samurai then put out his only other Pokemon, a Metapod. Thus, Metapod versus Metapod was born. Both of these Metapod only knew the move Harden, and thus Samurai and Ash were locked in a hopeless stalemate for hours. So it is with truest sincerity that we induct Samurai into the Underground Hall of Fame. Your sheer tenacity and passion are truly admirable traits that we aspire to incorporate into our own lives as trainers. Despite having lost three of your last three matches, you ran headlong into the next battle with fiery abandon. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, Samurai. You deserve it. 
This week's Pokemon Spotlight covers number 334, Altaria. Altaria is known as the Humming Pokemon. It is one of several dragonflying-type Pokemon that evolves from the bird-like Swablu. Altaria's vocal cords are highly refined, allowing the Pokemon to sing or hum in a beautiful soprano voice that causes listeners to experience dreamy contentedness. I love Altaria. When Altaria forms a bond with a person, it wraps its large, soft, cloud-like wings about the person and begins to hum. Contrary to their pre-evolutionary form, Swablu, who often live near human settlements, Altaria prefer to live in very secluded areas. Altaria glides on drafts of, high, of air high above where any other Pokemon can usually fly. Altaria has been featured on 11 TCG cards, only one of which is currently legal and is from the HeartGold SoulSilver Triumphant set. Other than Steelix, Altaria is the only Pokemon that changes its primary typing through evolution. Altaria has the lowest attack stat of all fully evolved Dragon-type Pokemon, but also has the highest special defense of all fully evolved Dragons. Altaria has few elemental attacks to choose from. Its main options are Solar Beam, solar beam Flamethrower, and Earthquake. But far more numerous are Altaria's defensive options. Cotton Guard, Haze, Roost, Safeguard, Sing, Power Swap, and Feather Dance are all options that it can, go, that it can use. Altaria is also one of the few Pokemon with access to the move Parish Song. Altaria has access to two abilities. It has the option to use Natural Cure or its Dream World ability, Cloud Nine. Altaria is one of a, only a handful of Pokemon with this weather nullifying ability. It can also learn Sunny Day and Rain Dance, making it a very effective weather changer. Altaria and Swablu are the only Pokemon that belong to both the Flying and Dragon Egg groups. Altaria is likely based on Peng, legendary Chinese birds of enormous size that were depicted as having cloud-like wings and the head of a dragon and whiskers. Altaria's name has a number of interesting interpretations of meaning. It could be a, a combination of alto, Italian for high, and aria, Italian for air. Aria could also be a reference to the Portuguese word meaning melody, which would tie into Altaria's humming or singing abilities. For a full write-up on video game strategy using Altaria, you should check out Sam's post on the Pokedex Project. That's thepokedexproject.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. Feel free to drop us a review on iTunes, and if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, send them with the nearest deli bird to our mailbag. 
or you could email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. Also, check us out on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com backslash forums. So until next time, Poke fans, remember that our secret base is always open to you if you can find it. The Underground Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Pokemon is a registered trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, 4Kids Entertainment, and Wizards of the Coast. Music used in the show comes courtesy of the OC Remix album, The Missing Note Tracks. These songs and thousands more can be found at www.ocremix.org. All original audio, textual, graphical, and video content associated with the Underground Podcast are the sole copyright intellectual property of Nikhil Erickson and Samuel Ranke in affiliation with the D20 Radio Network. 